You're listening to the Discriminology Podcast, the podcast that arms you with the knowledge and the tools to dismantle discrimination. With me, one of your hosts, Malik Sila. Welcome back to another episode of Discriminology. I'm one of your hosts, Malik Silau, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sydney Penn and Steve Kramer. On this episode, we will discuss whether Black student-athletes are being exploited by the NCAA in Division I basketball and football. The debate of college athletes regarding whether or not they should be paid has been raging on for years, and to help us discuss this topic will be aspiring sports attorney Olivia Gordon. Olivia is a 3L law student from the University of Baltimore School of Law with a concentration in business and sports. She also holds a sociology degree from Loyola University of Maryland. Thank you for joining us today, Olivia. Thank you, Malik and Sid and Mr. Kramer for having me. So great to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, Before we jump into the questions we have for you today, do you mind expanding upon your postgraduate plans career-wise? Sure. Um, So, you know, like many right now, COVID has really... um, made me, I guess, have to pivot, you know, so, so I'll say, um, I was in the process of interviewing with the Baltimore Ravens for a player engagement position. Um, I was very fortunate to go to the NFL combine last February. Um, and it really got me some great contacts. So I was really pumped and excited because I just knew that my career was starting. And then they were like, sorry, we really like you, but we're not going to hire until this is all over. So, you know, we're pivoting. (laughs) Um, that's what law school teaches you how to pivot. (laughs) So that's where I'm at right now. All right. I mean, I'm sure you maintain all those connections though. So I I guess we shouldn't be too stressed about that, but that's, that sounds really cool. Yeah. You know, it's been, it was, it was a really great experience. Uh, Never in a million years that I think I'd honestly get to go to the NFL combine, but I was, I was really grateful for the opportunity and absolutely keeping those connections and networking still. So I guess we should just, we should just jump right into it. Um, so the topic today is discussing whether or not uh, student athletes should be paid, and if Black student athletes are being exploited in the process. So how do you feel about college football and basketball players being paid? Oh, you know, it's it's such a it's not a tough question, but I think the circumstances surrounding the issue are tough. Um, so let's just separate, right? NCAA college basketball and football for a second. Um, NCAA football, per their website, uh, the bowl games and playoffs are operated completely independent, actually, of the NCAA. So it's one of those things now, if you start watching those last couple of bowl games, really between, um, you know, I know Alabama and Ohio State and subsequent teams are playing uh, next week, but you won't really see NCAA sponsorship and and things like that. You're not going to see those logos and such. Um, they're completely independently operated, and the NCAA doesn't get revenue actually from um, the Division One college football side of things. It's really NCAA basketball um, that brings in a ton of revenue, and essentially that's why it's at really the, the center of the discussion. Right? People keep seeing all this money that's coming in from NCAA Division One basketball, and I do think people should be paid. It's the how. Um, which is also, you know, a a focal point of the issue. Absolutely think that, you know, these athletes are 110% exploited. Um, So I think there should be payment, but the how is a big question mark there. 
do you have any ideas in terms of how um excuse my ignorance but i would if it were me i would just want a check a straight up check <laughs> <laughs> can you elaborate on the potential options of the how these students may be paid sure i think um well with the california fair play act i think one of the wisest decisions you know if if it really if all goes well with that is to let these athletes retain rights to their um, NIL, you know, name, image, likeness. That's a huge deal. Um, you have to keep in mind that even with professional athletes, um, you really don't retain uh, all of those rights per se. Uh, wherever your respective sport is professionally, that organization, that team, that league really retains the rights to use you, the game footage, everything that's going on in game, right? So, I think with the California Fair Play Act, letting those college athletes get those endorsements and potential sponsorship is the best way to go. Why I disagree with cutting a check is because when you cut a check for one, you have to cut a check for all. And realistically, even with an independent an independent accounting firm, um, it, it's just it's just not likely, right? How do you decide who gets paid the most? Um, and it depends on what school, right? If you go to UConn. Um, men's basketball, right? Of course, is going to get paid, but then UConn women's basketball is is one of is one of, or if not the most renowned, you know, collegiate women's program. So how do you pay them? And then UConn football is still going to want their check, right? But UConn football is not really bringing in UConn basketball money. And then what about UConn tennis and UConn golf and UConn badminton? And it becomes just a really huge um, weight on the school, right? To just cut a check. So I think allowing people to just get those endorsements, right, based on their, you know, their name recognition and branding um, is really the best way to go on the issue. So I, I kind of have uh, two two questions for you, I guess. I, I'll try to remember the second one. But um, the first one with the Fair Pay to Play Act that is uh, set to take effect in California in 2023, I, I was reading that Michigan also just passed one and 30 states have drafted similar bills which, you know, as, as you're saying, would allow these uh, athletes to capitalize on endorsements, things like Madden and things like that, you know, third-party uh, payers, not the institution themselves. I also was reading up that uh, the Supreme Court's going to be actually hearing a case in, in the spring, they said, the early spring, so they should be deciding by July. So if the Supreme Court hears by then, then all of those things are kind of moot. Have you, have you heard anything in, in any of those those lanes or any of those apps? I've definitely heard more with um, in regards to many of the states looking um, to uh, who have modeled after California and seemingly, you know, once the, the green light uh, essentially in California, you know, was lit. I mean, it basically, right, just California based on size and the number of institutions they have, it really clears the way because everyone says if California can do it, then Michigan can do it and Florida can do it and New York can do it and everyone too. Um, so I, I do think it's, it's not even a matter of if anymore, it's, it's when um, it's, it's happening. You know, schools are just going to have to prepare and some already are preparing themselves for it. Um, even the other, you know, 20 who have not really begun, maybe haven't, let's say modeled the bill after California yet. They're in talks. It's definitely happening. Some of my um, sports laws professors have definitely mentioned it. Um, in regards to the Supreme Court side, I have to familiarize myself with that more. I just haven't heard as much on the issue. I know a lot of, you know, so many cases that 
really don't even make it. So it is a big deal for a case even, frankly, to make it up to the Supreme Court. Um, so I'm just not as familiar on that issue. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I did not know it was how it, they just decided, I think, two weeks ago to actually hear the case. So obviously, if they make a ruling, these other states might just be holding off waiting to see what they do, because obviously, once they make their ruling, it, it might, as you were saying, it will just clear the path uh, for everybody to go ahead and do it. I guess my, my other issue that I have with just allowing third parties is how how limited or not limited, I guess, would be the number of athletes who would be able to capitalize on endorsements. You know, I was reading like some of the local guys, they might be able to make $500 down at the local, you know, uh, auto shop, you know, doing a commercial for local TV or something like that. Do you, are there any numbers run out there? Have economists done any of these studies as to how lucrative that would be for for the non-star athletes and the not the non-big schools? Well, I would say I think most of the focus, unfortunately, has just gone to um, the the men and women whose names we're just the most familiar with. Um, I think, at least from what I've heard, even from Business Insider um, and a few other, you know, just business-related websites. Um, they're really relying on the social media and the, the vast expansion of social media, even in the last five years, you know, even versus 10, 15, 20, and of course, you know, 20 plus years ago, um, the, the advent and explosion of social media really creates lanes, even for those who are not the quarterback of, you know, Alabama, um, the star point guard at Kentucky or UConn. It just, you know, which is, a, I think is a great thing um, because yes, I think without social media, it it really would limit some of the maybe lesser named people to just that, you know, that $500 from the local, the local pizza place, the on, you know, the off campus, off campus bar with whatever it is. But I think what, or at least, you know, based on what I've heard in discussions in class, based on what I've read is that um, anyone has the ability to brand themselves through social media to make themselves, you know, more money, <clears throat> excuse me, more money than they would even think possible, um, even as maybe not the name, you know, the name that everybody knows. That's a great point. Yeah, I was going to I was going to um, actually ask about that. You kind of just Olivia segued into my question um, with this news, like social media age and, and how it's so easy or a lot easier now to put yourself out there and brand yourself pretty much on your own. Um, you know, like a lot of, a lot of people are able to, um, kind of build their, their profiles and build their status on social media up without any help. So like to your point about, you said earlier about, you know, not being sure if cutting a check per se to, to certain players, you know, would be, would be wise because then how do you, how do you, right, pay everybody else who's in, in the, in these industries? Um, how do you think social media, cause that's a whole nother like platform world we're talking about now where like you know the these endorsements that these players would get could come from social media just based off of the exposure that these these players have on the internet how do you think that that would um kind of be navigated in terms of like getting people um the the sponsors that they have and like how, how do you think that could be controlled i guess is you could say I would say that I think it creates, um, first of all, another job market um, in the collegiate field, right? Even if it comes off of the lane of um, compliance, you know, specifically, because um, compliance has really also exploded with um, when it comes to NCAA programs. I think it would be a great vein um, or just 
another branch for compliance to fall off into. You have somebody who specializes in marketing. You have somebody who specializes in compliance, you know, maybe that, um, that dual type of role um, who could even, you know, if need be, um, guide people into what is, you know, a right decision and maybe a wrong decision. Um, even though it wouldn't, again, it's not regulated by, you know, the NCAA really is, is the figure that's like, we're trying to stay away from this. Um, but the school still has a responsibility, right, to these athletes, even under, um, you know, most, everyone really has to follow like the current Students Athletes Bill of Rights. Um, there are still things even in the Student Athletes Bill of Rights. Well, I, I don't think it garners nearly half the protections that are needed. Um, the school still has a responsibility for people who are representing them. I think if you have a specialist or even if it's not through the school, um, I think it's a great job market for somebody to get into um, in training people and in regulating how exactly, you know, who should be doing this, who's going to get this endorsement. Um, part of it, it has to be talked about at training camp. People have to understand um, their social media presence, what endorsements means, um, understand that certain people are going to, even if multiple people are endorsed by the same organization, somebody's check is going to be higher. Um all of that, right, is an avenue that someone, you know, a group of people, some type of firm, some new landscape, right, is going to be created from this. Um, so I think it ultimately takes, you know, maybe even an independent body um, just to regulate and understand, train, and make people see that there is a difference between, you know, who's playing what position here, there, you know, depending on the school, depending on the sport. But Olivia, that's still... Like all these solutions we're talking about still absolves the NCAA from sharing profit. So I just wanted to take it back to the issues with cutting a check. I feel like that gets ambiguous when you talk about individual players. But if you want to talk about programs, for example, I'm sure you could quantify how much revenue Duke basketball brought in for the year 2020, for example, and then have like a structure of or just decide upon a percentage that the players are entitled to. It just makes me uncomfortable that like March Madness alone is a is a billion dollar, you know, entity. And it's just everyone gets paid except the players, the coaches, the assistant coaches, like everyone. They're they're able to quantify their value except for the actual product. I just don't think that's fair. Um, And I totally agree with you. But, you know, here is the thing, you know, when you get really down to the nitty gritty um, of the numbers. And, and this is one of the things, you know, the Associated Press tells us. Um, so Duke is absolutely in one of the top five programs of generating revenue from basketball. Um, but keep in mind, right, Louisville is actually um, the top program and they are um, generating about forty five point six million in revenue. Um, essentially, right. It, it comes from a lot of things. Louisville actually does a fantastic job with their branding. Um, of course, even if they have not they haven't finished outside of the Associated Press top twenty five since in the last decade. Um, one of, of course, they have one of the greatest and most beautiful arenas um, of any sport, collegiate or professional. There's a lot of things that go into their branding, um, but there's a there's a pretty there's a pretty sizable gap between them and Duke. The so Duke is number two, um, but their basketball generated revenue that goes to the school alone is 31 million. Now, yes, is is that a lot of money? Absolutely, but you have to keep in mind, right? It's Duke men's basketball that generates really the, the bulk of that 31 million. Um, then it's really, how does that get dispersed, right? So the NCAA itself disperses a, a decent amount of money to these programs, right? It's when Duke makes it to the tournament, 
Duke University is not paying that money. Schools would go bankrupt if they had to really fund every D1, even your D2, your D3 schools that go to these tournaments, these bowl games, et cetera. The NCAA really has to foot that bill. And I wish it was more um, transparent. I think there is such a tremendous lack of transparency between the NCAA and the general public of where exactly the money goes. Like it's, it's on the website, right? But realistically, someone every year, there should be some sort of, um, not to say it has to be necessarily televised, but something that's placed on social media of a, we're going to talk about where the money actually goes. I think that's a big part of the issue is that people don't know what money's going where. We're just seeing these hundreds of millions of dollars come into the NCAA. We're seeing these millions of dollars go into the schools. We're not sure where it's going, right? So Duke is at that $31 million figure, but keep in mind that then has to be dispersed. That has to pay athletics, right? That has to pay your athletic director. That has to pay your entire athletic staff. It costs a lot of money (laughs) to run run a program. It costs a huge ton of money to run a successful one. Um, So while I do think there, I do think there is liability there. Does the NCAA have money? They absolutely do. Do they also disperse money? Yes. Is there still money left over? Absolutely. Um, But they are so rigid on, well, if we pay people and they're professionals. And again, I think when it comes down to cutting them a check, right, it was, okay, so Zion gets how much, but then how much would RJ Barrett have gotten? And then how much is the person who is, you know, sitting on the bench, still going to the tournament, right? Still on the team. But the per- but those three people who sit on the bench and don't play the entirety of the tournament, essentially, how much are they getting? You brought up the transparency. I guess what makes me uncomfortable is, and as you said, I'm sure they foot a tremendous amount of expenses, but the NCAA to me is a business like any other business in the country. And something as public as the NCAA should have I should be able to go on Google and look up a PL statement of the NCAA in whatever year I want to look at, for example. And I think if that was available and it was transparent whether or not they were doing the right thing, it would quell a lot of these discussions. But the fact that they're so against making that information transparent, it, it does beg the question, where is this money going and how much of this money is left over? Yes. No, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And I think that's completely right. And I'm frankly, I, I'm not sure of what the reason for the lack of transparency is. Like I said, it is, you know, you go on NCAA.org, you can look up and it will give you the basic information. And I I truly encourage people to do so. Um, Because again, I think people aren't aware that number one, most of the money is really just coming from division one men's basketball championship, television and marketing rights and their championship ticketing sales, right? That's it's the television and marketing rights account for $821.4 million, according to their website. Championship ticket sales account for $129.4 million. That's, that's, a, that's a billion dollars right there. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of money, right? But then they, they break it down at least somewhat, a, a little bit, not nearly enough. Um, but they at least give you a dozen ways that the money is distributed, um, almost all of which support NCAA schools, the conferences, and then they are supporting nearly half a million student athletes, which I had no idea. But again, even, you know, I tallied up the, at least the figures that they've given us and I came to about $500 million, right? So we're still leaving another $500 million 
essentially unaccounted for? And why can't that go to people? Um, and why are they so rigid about it, you know, not going to the athletes? Um, I, I think they have the money to do it. But ultimately, when I when I look at how much people in the NCAA are making, um, I see why they don't want to distribute that money, frankly. Right. And I just want to add two more points to that. So I guess the first thing I'll say in terms of how to determine whether or not, like you brought up R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson, for example, how do how much you pay Zion, how much you pay R.J., how much you pay Cam Reddish, et cetera. Are there talks about just replicating almost like a minor league? So each player would be con- contracted based on, I'd assume, their talent level, their contribution to the team, et cetera. And then in terms of how do you disperse the money to the other programs you brought up, uh, UConn, men's basketball versus women's basketball, wouldn't it just be easier if we just worked off percentages? Like, okay, for example, arbitrary numbers, UConn women's basketball brought in $100 million this year. and the the team is entitled to X percentage. Wouldn't that wouldn't that just be the simplest way to work it out so you don't have to come up with an independent dollar figure for each person? It would just they're entitled to a certain percentage of the pie? Um I think it becomes simple until you're the person who is the one getting less money. Sure. <laughs> um when because here's the thing, right? Every everyone because everyone's going to practice. First of all, you know, you played in high school and you know mm-hmm. everybody's going to practice, right? And then you take that and then you magnify it on the collegiate level and it's everybody's going to practice multiple times a day. Everybody's under the team nutrition diet. Everybody is is moving as a unit, going on the road left and right, missing, you know, missing family holidays, missing all these important events. Everyone, right, is giving that 110%. So how do you tell the person who sits on the bench? Uh, well, we're sorry, but, you know, you're only entitled to 0.5% because, it's not your name that they recognize on the back of the jersey. That's so. I think it's easy until I think it's easy for the one who gets the most. <laughs> but I think wait, Malik, were you saying were you saying about were you wait were you saying were you saying that the that the team would get a percentage of or each per, you saying no 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 I, I meant yeah I meant like the individual players. So Olivia brings up a good point. I, I feel like we still have to be pragmatic about it. Like as Olivia said, like. I play in high school. Um, Sydney and I both play in college. Our freshman year in college, like for example, Kit was the best player on your team, right, Sid? Right, one of them. Mm-hmm. Or one of them. It, let's say um, if it was a Division One program, no one would bat an eye if Kit was getting paid the most money because she was the best player. That's what I'm saying. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. Like in the NBA, that this is this isn't like no one bats right. This isn't a thing. It's not a discussion. Like if you if you are if you are a player, right? That is if 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 you are. A, a sole, a blatant contribution, or bl- the the the, or not even the sole. It's a team, right? Not a sole reason, but but a huge re- a huge reason of why the program, the team, et cetera, is br- is is bringing in this much revenue. Then the compensation, just like any other business, workplace, industry, reflects the compensation should reflect that. And and you know, yes, you know, in theory, we all you know, e- equality is is theoretically what everybody would agree with that all the players should be. But at the end of the day, if if you if 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 uh, if somebody turns if somebody who's out of state or doesn't go to the school or doesn't go to, or doesn't live in the country hears your school's um, name and and they think of you as the player, like if that's if that's what it is, that's what it is. The compensation should reflect that. I feel like, and with these millions and millions and millions of dollars being left over, like it just. It just I just don't understand. I, I kinda agree with Malik. I don't get why that can't be done. You know, like the it's it's just that these these players are the reason why these schools are bringing in millions and millions and millions of dollars. 
I'll speak for both Sydney and myself. I we know that there's a lot more that goes into us, especially like in terms of accounting, and it's not as I'm sure it's not as simple as we're boiling it down to. But I, I right, think it's just all. important to have this conversation on air because I think this is what most people would ask someone um, if they had the opportunity to discuss this issue with someone that had some inside information. Um, and no, I definitely, you know, I agree to a point, but I would say I would ask you to place yourselves, you know from your respective experiences. Um, when it comes to, of course, you're going to be dealing with right a lot less money than the NBA team. So think about it here, right? If you're on a rookie NBA salary, right, you're still making $900,000. Frankly, I don't even, okay, LeBron could make $33 million a year. That's fine. I have, you know, here I am just coming out the gate. And especially if I'm in like, you know, say I get drafted in the first round, so I got a million dollars out the gate and then endorsements. Oh, I have nothing to complain about. But then if you're telling me that, okay, Zion was going to get right, he was going to get a hundred thousand. And then I was going to get like, you know, at most, maybe, maybe three, maybe, but let's say even probably wouldn't be three, right. To my $1,000, it's like, oh, well, I'm still, you know, that's, that's going to pay my, you know, my plane ticket home, you know, round trip, maybe once or twice, but you know, my, the worth, I think, you know, when it comes to the different, the varying vastness of numbers that you're dealing with, that's a good point. Um, I think is where the, yeah, I think is. is where one of the issues lies, but that's, listen, that's a whole, that's a discussion. That's a, that's a lengthy discussion within itself. Right. And it's, how do you tell somebody realistically when it comes to, you know, the collegiate and, you know, quote unquote, semi-pro amateur level, um, this is your worth here. This is your worth here when everybody's putting in the same amount of effort versus like, okay, well, James Harden, we don't care if he goes to the strip club because he's still going to drop 40 something points a night, you know? So it's, it's hard. And then it's also, you think about Duke, Kentucky, UConn, right? And are people following that person because of actually their name or am I following them because they're the point guard? Am I following them because of the quarterback, right? Whoever's the quarterback at Alabama, right? Because of the branding of the school is going to have a hundred thousand followers, right? Before they're even their freshman year coming in, whoever's going to start at point, whoever's going to start at forward at Duke, at UConn, um, is going to have those maybe 200,000 followers before they even, you know, step, step on the court for practice, you know, just, and I think that's where the schools come along with it, right? They're like, well, it's our brand. If we don't give you our Jersey, nobody knows who you are. Nobody can, nobody cares. Well, that in itself is a little problematic right there. And I think the NCAA and the schools are receiving backlash for that because not backlash from people, but from the players themselves. Like if you look at LaMelo Ball in the last draft, Jalen Green um, just signed with the G League. A lot of these players are betting on themselves like, all right, let's see how I do without your quote unquote branding. And, and, and they're they're making money. They're making a lot of money. So I think there needs to be a balance found there. I don't know if you hire a, a, an independent accounting firm to find that calculated balance but i think we can all agree that the absolutes of oh they're they're amateurs so they can't get paid or this that, and that like there has to be some type of middle ground that we fall upon this is my opinion last year of collegiate basketball there were no super big name players uh the top players in that class went overseas um instead of playing college and it to me it was a little bit of a low and this was before the pandemic hit Whereas the year before when there was a Zion Williamson, like college basketball was like, even people that didn't really care about basketball for say, knew who Zion was. So 
I think if the NCAA doesn't find some type of middle ground, like the the product is going to suffer. No, I could definitely, I could definitely see that happening. Um, it's, you know, especially, you know, keeping in mind that, you know, until recently, really people, people didn't even have to go to college, right? It was people just coming out of high school and, you know, frankly, you know, college basketball really had kind of suffered a lull because you went from watching guys like Ewing right and Jordan play in college and really start to make these programs and then even you're seeing you know you see Allen Iverson go to Georgetown right you see Melo and he goes to Syracuse and, and wins them their first championship right it, it was this whole huge you've had these like eras of just massive excitement and then you know there's been like uh you know the mid for me at least I'll say the mid 2000s until you know maybe a couple of years ago <laughs> it was like eh, you know then, then John Wall came, and then I was like, "Okay, people are going to start watching, you know, watching college basketball." No, I I agree. <laughs> um, I agree. There needs to be a middle ground found because, yes, um, you had made a point earlier about like you know essentially a minor league system, right? A, a, you know, college is the NBA's minor league, right? And they exactly they get that they're they're very you know the NBA gets such a benefit, right? Because I mean, again, baseball is a whole different conversation. Um, but even to put it in perspective, right, the minor league baseball players make, I mean, below dirt, but below, below dirt, right? And that's thousands and thousands of people. Some of them are have been signed since whatever, you know, since 16 years old and people make dirt zilch money, right? And then the NBA gets to say, well, we have given, I'm sorry, NCAA gets to say, well, we have given people scholarships and we have created a pathway for them to even go. And it's like, Yes, but you have to keep in mind that a lot of people that you're drafting, and, and let's let's just be honest here, so many people are coming from really marginalized and extremely, extremely impoverished circumstances, right? And to say, well, you've got a scholarship, that's it. When people are like, if you're not on campus, um, unless somebody's taking care of you, you have no money. You have no money and you can't get a job while you're playing sports. That's that's not happening. You can't be sitting at, you know, you're getting at the desk assistant. You're not doing the overnight, you know, you're not driving the campus shuttle. You can't, you can't even do that. You can't even put money in your pocket. So I absolutely agree. There needs to be a middle ground found. Um, and, and they need to be honest with a lot of people who are, or who are, yes, benefiting from these scholarships, um, being very poor and having really no money in their pockets all those years um, until they become professional or, or do not become professional. So uh, Olivia, you, 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 touched on exactly what I what I wanted to ask you guys about. So Malik and and Sid, you guys know better than anybody how a full-time job it is in in college and you have no time to make money. So this this whole discussion about contracts and about making money and about branding that I think that's one avenue of things, but then there's also the basic living standard. You know, it seems to me like there's there's never a discussion when it comes to paying athletes, because I think it gets lost in all the big money that the NCAA has, there's never seems to be a discussion about paying the, paying all of the kids some sort of living wage where they don't have to e- either get some other job, which I don't know how they could possibly get to to get food when they're off campus, to go to a movie, to 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 live, you know, as as young teenage kids. I remember listening to a really good interview with Jimmy Johnson, and he said, you know, at midnight when the dining halls are closed and my 300-pound linemen are starving, they have no money. So he would go, he would bring pizzas to the dorms, and he would feed his kids. 
to, to me, that sounds crazy. If you have, as Olivia was saying, if you have no support structure at home that's sending you money, what do you do for money? What do you do for cash? What do you do when you're starving on the weekend? So I think there's got to be some discussion about not not contract and all that sort of stuff, but just sort of like a weekly allowance. Right. Um, because, yes, Mr. Kramer is is absolutely right, especially, you know, Malik and I, um, we didn't play the didn't play Division One basketball. I, I think I can speak for Malik when I say that, you know, we we were fortunate to have a little bit like we had a little bit of wiggle room in terms of like having time, you know, just having time. You know, it wasn't as much of a full time job or full time commitment, life commitment like Division One basketball is. And to the point about, you know, them having scholarships. Right. Like any every all other students, especially on our campus, you know, we went to a, a liberal arts school. So all other students that were, you know, that were writers and, and the artists and the musicians at our, at our school were able to. To, to, to support themselves out off of off campus and outside of campus, you know they were able to go get gigs in te- in the in the town and play in the local bars or whatever and make some money. They were able to to sell their paintings and the art shows and you know what I'm saying they were open to the public. Like they were they were able to 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 figure out other avenues of making a little bit of pocket change. When it comes to athletes specifically, these two sports that are predominantly um, you know played by brown brown uh, black and brown people. Like the, that, that right, Mr. Kramer's right. There's not, there's no, there's no discussion about that. Like, wh- why is that not a discussion? Like these, these players are, are, are devoting so much, all of their time, all of it. There is no time to do anything else but play the sport. And so you would think, again, like any other business industry, what, what have you, that there would be some type of compensation. I think that there needs to be discussion about that. It's, re- it's crazy to me that there isn't any. I think one of the big reasons why it's not as much of a discussion. You know, and I wish I, if I could like, you know, whisper, um, if we were all in the same room, I'd be like, you know, boosters are, <laughs> are, are part of our big reason why that's not a discussion. And depending where you go, you know, of course, like I said, D1, D2, D3, right? It's, it's very, it's extremely different. And even amongst the D1s, right? Very different. I, I went to a division one school with no, you know, basketball or football program. It was the lacrosse team. That was, you know, what everyone went to see. Um, but if you are at some of these schools and people say, well, why don't, why aren't people at Clemson and Ohio state speaking up? Why aren't the basketball players at UConn and maybe at Char Hill speaking up? And again, I'm not saying every, I'm not saying every single person on the team is benefiting, but what I am saying is that those are schools that do have more of the stipends. Um, even Loyola's men's, I'm sorry, men's basketball team, um, had a stipend, right? So we had no football team, no baseball. So just lacrosse and and basketball, and not you know, frankly, not a not a great <laughs> men's basketball team or women's basketball team. Um, but they got a stipend, um, and I was you know I was asking some people, they wouldn't tell me the amount, but they told me that um, in 2013, um, I'm sorry, in 2012 is when the school did start distributing stipends. Um, I think it needs to be more widely based. Yes, but I but I think a big part of why you're not hearing it from some of those top programs is because those top programs are have quite really essentially really quietly um, given stipends to some players. Olivia, I'm happy you brought that up and said it in such a diplomatic manner. But I think we forgot to discuss that we're acting like these kids aren't well, some of these kids aren't getting paid anyway. And like, these schools aren't having bidding wars over players and like that stuff is going on. So I guess my question, I have a two part question. One, 
why wouldn't the NCAA want to regulate something that's already happening? We hear stories about these crazy situations coming out year after year, like Louisville and you, you name it. And then back to the minor league point that you brought up before. Uh, the NBA is putting a lot of money into their G League, I think, because, as you said, the NCAA was acting as the NBA minor league. Um, and I think the NBA is seeing a real business opportunity to invest in that league and profit off some of the the top high school pro- prospects. So just from a business perspective, why wouldn't the NCAA want to get in front of this before their product suffers financially? Well, when it comes to, uh, yes, we're absolutely, yes, depending on, again, some of these you know, campuses, you can, you roll up to where the athletes live and yes, you will see some cars that you're just like, how in the world did you afford? Like, why are you driving a $50,000 car? Like what, what's going on here? Um, right. Boosters are a huge issue. Um, yeah. Why, why don't they want to regulate? And, and truth be told, um, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but the NCAA, right. And the universities, uh, rely on on boosters, right? You know, to, to call a spade a spade. Um, they rely, first of all, boosters really are who pay um, coaches' salaries. The NCAA does not want to pay, right? Roy Williams or Calipari's or Krasinski's or Sabin's, right? Or Oberon's. They do not want to pay those salaries because those salaries are a lot of money, right? Between your, your head coaches, your assistant coach pool, that's that's a lot of money the NCAA does not want to have to pay. Um, if it becomes more regulated, I think that's a problem that they would potentially run into of then bearing the burden of also having to pay those coach salaries and then seeing revenue, I mean, completely go like vanish, vanish. Because when you look at what, and again, something I would encourage everyone to do, really look at what you know coaches are getting paid. Whew, man, when I, <laughs> I I wish I had that gift because um, looking at the perks, looking at the contracts, you look at Harbaugh's contract in Michigan and the perks and the and the things that they get. My goodness, it's a lot. Um, but most of that that's that is really footed by boosters. Um, schools cannot afford to pay these coaches, and frankly, the NCAA even cannot afford to pay these coaches. So I think that's why it's really not regulated. So we know that some people, yes, people are getting paid under the table, on top of the table, to the side of the table, all of that. It's happening. Um, But I do think from a business standpoint, they feel that if they step in to really regulate, they'll lose the boosters and then have to foot even more of the bill um, on that point. That makes perfect sense. I'm happy you you broke it down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not surprised that the NCAA is now. It makes perfect sense why they won't regulate it. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. And it's a, it's a very, it's, I would say, you know, from a, from a standpoint of feel good movie, you know, the, the blind side does a, you know, I have my criticism. We all do. It does a good job on the feel good side. Um, you know, right. It's like, a, oh, this is nice. Um, but that, that moment where, you know, the NCAA investigator, you know, before he does the, well, you never asked me why I even wanted to go. Cause this is my family and all this okay that that few minutes before right when the investigator is like okay have you ever really thought about why exactly these people adopted you and have you heard of boosters and do you are you aware of what's going on around you and and, and frankly right he at least michael's you know in the character the way it was portrayed 
Michael really wasn't aware. And, and I don't think a lot of people are aware until you're fully within um, the role, the power, um, how exactly boosters operate. And again, that's why I think the NCAA kind of really toys around it, right? Because again, if they didn't, um, these coaches' salaries would not be paid by these these independent people. The NCAA would have to foot that bill. Um, but I know before your G League question, I know Mr. Kramer had had something earlier, so I, I want to make sure I, I get back to what he was going to say. I, I guess, uh, Olivia, the, the big question I have for you, and and really, you know, for, for anyone who's played college sports, is what, what do you say to, to Joe America, who's so convinced that the education that the athletes are getting is enough. They'll come at you, they'll say, listen, these these colleges, they're giving them a four-year degree. That's enough. They don't need any more money. They don't deserve any more money. What, what do you what do you respond to that? Well, I think, you know, the the biggest things you have to tell, right, the, the average person who just sees that scholarship figure, right, is to really un- make them or at least try to get them to understand that if a school is willing to, right, say, pour that, that $50,000 a year, the $20,000 a year, whatever it is, right, into the athlete, understand that they are doing that, right, as an investment and that what their return, that they're expecting, that what they're going to receive is quadruple, quintuple, you name it, right? No one is pouring out that amount of money, right, without expecting something of a major return back on their investment. And again, you have to just be honest with the figures of, uh, making people understand that colleges are specifically marketing um, to many of these men and women who, you know, for many reasons, of course, come from extremely disadvantaged, marginalized, and, and very impoverished circumstances. That the average NCAA, you know, Division One person, when you, you look at their FAFSA, you look at their information, are, are coming from very low-income households. Um, it's it's so easy to market to a person to say, if you come to our school, you come play at Kentucky, you come play at Xavier, play at UConn, and we will feed you, we'll give you, you know, we'll give you Nike, we'll give you Adidas, we'll give you Under Armour, Um, you'll always have a pair of shoes on your feet, all these perks will come to you, right, all these people will be at your disposal. Um, When you market those, it's so easy to market those things to someone when when they have so little or nothing. So I you have to come to people with, with those bare facts and, and to really be honest and say that these schools know exactly what they're doing and exactly who they're marketing to for that major return on their investment. Right. Right. I mean, I, you know, even for me and my, my college experience, you know, I went, I, I went to an Ivy league school and the athletes that I know, some of them came from extreme wealth and then some came from abject poverty. I, I knew one of our, one of my swimmers, one of my closest guys used to have to hitchhike home every every christmas he'd, he'd get on he'd get on the road he'd walk up to the george washington bridge and he'd hitchhike back to indiana he couldn't afford a ticket to get home you know and and that's you know at a school where you wouldn't expect that sort of stuff to go on so um it, it, it's very frustrating to me when i hear people say that you know oh they're getting in this education like, well that's not costing the school any money you know how about how about just some sort of minimal living living wage something to keep them going they could get home they could see their family they could get out on the weekend do something so you know that's that's kind of my absolutely to think that there are people when those dining halls close when there's a when there's a snow day when there's something that these people who again you know give so much to the school um 
can't go to McDonald's, you know, and even get something off the dollar menu. It's, it's, it's very disheartening. Um, and then Malik, you had mentioned, you know, just in regards to why a lot of money is being put into the Geely, which, and that, and that is very true. They're, they're really, um, if you just, you know, stay on the NBA's website, or if you're, you know, staying abreast of what they're doing, a lot of money is being put into the G League. Um, but again, G League salary, right? They they cannot and will not compete with European team salaries. They're, they're simply not going to do it. They The NBA relies on college as a very cheap, cheap, cheap way of funneling people into, you know, into their drafts. Um, I, I do think more athletes, frankly, should go overseas. Overseas has been paying athletes, you know, very well for a long time, even before women could play in the WNBA, you know, before that was even created, women went overseas and we're making pretty decent, pretty, pretty decent salaries. And depending on what team you play for, right, you play for China, you play for um, the Spanish national team, you, you can make yourself a very, an, ex, an extremely nice living um, for a number of years. So I, de- I definitely encourage players to do it. But I know that the the NBA is not even going to up those those G League salaries. Um, so if that if someone was trying to funnel me there, I'm like, no, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm heading overseas. I'm heading to go play for Spain's team and and make that you know maybe that that six figure salary, quite honestly. And then yeah, not forfeit my eligibility, and then I'll just go get drafted. I w- I would do it. Yeah, I I would too. Um, I know Jalen Green got uh, a five hundred dollar contract, but um. That's Jalen Green. That's not everybody. So um, before we wrap up today, I just wanted to uh, make sure we all agreed upon that. The blind side is just a little racist. And then slightly, yeah, ever, ever. So, you know, sorry to anyone who loves the blind side. The blind side's representation of black people in terms of Michael, in terms of his education level, in terms of his family structure, in terms of every black person portrayed in that movie was portrayed in some form of stereotype. Um, so we should <laughs> definitely do a, uh, an episode on, I guess, entertainment representation of black people. Um, but that's a side point. I just want to, I'm happy you brought up the blind side cause it, it kind of gets under my skin a little bit. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> you thought a Hollywood uh, movie would, uh, right. I'm like shocked. <laughs> very odd to me. Yeah. Never, never, ever been done before. The blind side was the only movie. <laughs> blind side was the only movie yeah. that did that. Well, it was driving Miss Daisy and the blind side. That was it, right? More or less. More or less. <laughs> um, Olivia, thank you so much for uh, teaching us. I, I, I'll speak for myself. I learned a lot. Um, no, you can speak for I'm, me too. I, Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> for, all, for, for all of us. And um, we're, we're pretty avid. Um, we follow sports pretty avidly ourselves. And some of the things you brought up were just news to us as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Olivia. This was you. Yeah, this was so insightful. I really did learn. Uh, I did, I learned a lot. I come from a family of college basketball players in all divisions, and I learned a whole lot that I had no idea about. Thank yeah, you. Olivia, a very impressive wealth of knowledge there. It's uh, really, really fascinating to listen to you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank y'all so much for having me. This was this was such a joy and a pleasure to be a part of. And if we do any more sports episodes, um. We will definitely have you back because we st- we should definitely talk about um, you know, pro sports exploitation. But that's a whole other um topic for another day. With all that said, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Discriminology, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Bye. Later, y'all. Good night, everybody. 
Thank you for listening to the Discriminology Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and to follow us on Instagram at Discriminology underscore podcast or on Facebook at Discriminology 3. Until next time, peace.